0: We can work or we can work. But guess what? Eventually something's going to fall apart if I'm not taking care of my health, which is why it's important that I'm huge on fitness and I'm working out too, because I know that I'm not going to be able to perform in my business to be what my clients need if I'm sitting around eating food that comes through a window and I just sit behind my desk all day. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane.
1: Welcome back, my great to wealth listeners. Today's episode has a quality issue, and we wanted to give you a disclaimer before you start listening. There is unfortunately some echo in our recording, which we didn't hear it while we were having a conversation with our guest, but unfortunately there is some and a slight background noise in some cases. But regardless, the content is great. Unfortunately, the production quality ended up being a little bit subpar to what to our own liking. And you know how much pride we take in our production quality. So I apologize for that, but don't let that slight echo and a little bit of background noise deter you from listening to the show. Josh is a great businessman. He's a CPA, he's an accountant, a great story. And I'm hoping that you can take advantage of the value he provided uh, during my conversation with him. With that, I will let you go, listen to the show, take some good notes. And of course, we appreciate you tuning in. Thank you. Welcome back, my Great to Wealth listeners. Today, I have the pleasure to introduce you Lone Star Capital, Josh Belk. Josh, how are you?
0: I am wonderful, you? socket. Good to chat with you today.
1: Yeah, man. I think we've had several conversations. that We were just talking off-chair. I think if we didn't hit the record button, we would have lost all the conversation. So we made a call that <laughs> let's just hit record and have a conversation that we were having before so that everyone can benefit. Or is a very interesting conversation. Thank you again.
0: Sure thing. My pleasure.
1: Yeah. So Josh, help us understand. I I know you a lot of different things, right? So I think as I distilled prior to our conversation, you really, I, I look at your role as a fractional CFO, sort of a role where you do accounting, you sit down with the clients to discuss their needs, their goals, their desires, and figure out how the businesses that they are in are going to help them achieve it or not achieve it so that they can make course correction. Is that the correct way of distilling what your really core service offering is?
0: Yeah, I think probably um, maybe the best way I try to describe myself and then our firm as well is we really try to be uh, holistic accountants. So um, it's really kind of going and getting a tax return prepared. You can go pretty much anywhere, and get that done. Um, finding a bookkeeper, you can kind of almost go anywhere and get that done. The biggest pain points that we hear from our clients is really knowing what to look at. Mm-hmm. And then how to process that information in a way that, that's valuable to them, that helps them right. to get to where they're wanting to go. So yes, you can also go and hire a, a, you know, a fractional CFO too to help you inside of your business. But we really try to sit in some way in all of those seats for our clients to the extent that they want us to. Because a lot of times business owners, the last thing they want to worry about is their bookkeeping. Yep. The last thing they want to worry about is their tax return. If we were talking beforehand, you know, as you had mentioned, that a lot of times the only time that sometimes a business owner will look at his or her numbers is at tax time. So mm-hmm. they, you know, they send everything over to their accountant, and you know, they're not having conversations during the year. They just send their stuff over, and here's the bill, and they just pay it, and they don't really feel like their business has been helped. So when I kind of went through this, I really wanted to try to expand this a little bit because it's what our clients need. It's what your business need is even what my business needs is to understand what is truly going on inside of my business. And so really kind of sitting down with the client and this is something that your listeners should be doing with their accountants as well is sitting down and before you ever have a conversation on how are my books getting done, my tax return, you know this type of thing is really having doing a deep dive into the goals of that particular business and that business owner. Okay. So, because the business, what the direction that business is heading or the direction the business owner is wanting to go, that's not something that's cookie cutter. And so, it may have businesses like yours, for example, you have a nonprofit component that mm-hmm. you have a passion or we have a mutual right. friend. I think that's how we were connected. Correct. Just huge on the nonprofit side of it. So, we really want to take our profit that we have in our business to turn around and help somebody else. That's a much different goal than five or six years ago. I had a client come in and and the conversation that we had, we sat down and said, Okay, it was our annual meeting, our big annual meeting. We had it right here in the conference room. And so I could what are your goals for this particular year? And he said, Josh, my goal this year is I've always wanted to own a Ferrari. And so my goal this year is to own a Ferrari. Is right. to go and buy a Ferrari. That's completely different than I want to pay zero income tax. Correct. So he understood right. that going and buying a Ferrari Okay. Not something that you just simply write off on your taxes. Right. So it wasn't a tax conversation, but it was something ever since he was a little kid, he wanted one. So that was the goal in his business. Well, fine. Great. Let's make it happen. What do we need to do inside the business to get that cash flow generating to the point that you can go and buy a Ferrari? And later that year, he flew out, I think, to California, picked up his Ferrari and brought it back here uh, to the Midwest. Then a couple of years later, it was a Bentley, and he pulls up here last week <laughs> in Bentley uh, to our office for uh, for his annual meeting. But, but that's a complete different goal than someone who says, okay, I want to give a million dollars this year to help you know feed hungry mm-hmm. kids in Africa, whatever that goal right. may be to make an impact. So really, kind of drilling down, and then what needs to be done on a month-to-month, quarter-over-quarter basis to be able to get the client to closer to meeting those goals.
1: So actually, Josh, this is interesting. I'm going to park that for a second because I'd really want to get into a different side of you, which is really trying to understand your story before we get into what you do and how you do it at a detail level. Help us understand, how did you get to become an accountant and such a successful one? Is it something that you wanted to always become as you were a child? How did you get shaped? Because not a lot of kids grow up saying, I want to be an accountant. Maybe you were an exception, possible. So help us understand that.
0: Yeah, no, not at all. I've never met a kid that said I wanted to be an accountant. And to be honest with you, we're finding this, that most young people, when they go to school for accountancy, they get out into it and they realize this isn't for them. It is not, it's not kind of this, especially in this day and age, you know, most kids want to be an influencer, you know, whatever the case be, they want to make an impact. And so make an impact in that way through their voice, where it was a little bit different than times when you and I grew up. I did not have a passion or an interest at all at being an accountant. Actually, when I was growing up, I wanted to go into law. And I did actually go to, actually did go to law school, but I don't practice it. I sit in as an accountant. And the reason for that is I had a college professor at Purdue who was both a CPA and an attorney. And I was well, that's totally fascinating. He told me all the kind of the cool things he was able right. to do. And so that kind of ended up pushing me toward that direction. But no, I actually wanted to go into law. And then I was thinking my, either my junior or my senior year of high school, I was going through, um, at the university level, trying to determine where I was going to go off to school. And it's kind of through that particular process, I can't pinpoint the times that, oh, yes, I want to, you know, this is, I want to be an accountant. Or can I even remember why I decided to go that direction? But ultimately went off to school for it, found I had a really kind of a, a love for it and not in the traditional way because I'm mm-hmm. not in the world of accountancy. I don't enjoy doing, I don't like the backwards looking portion of it. So I don't like doing audits, you know that type of thing. Tax returns are historical as well, but they do help bring value to the client in a different type of a way. But yeah, it wasn't something I wanted to be growing up. It was something that I I took to when I was older and I thought I would go into corporate. I actually wanted to go and work for Disney uh, Mm. when I was younger. I wanted to go and work there. I actually went into the corporate world for a while and that didn't go particularly well. So I kind of started this as kind of a side hustle like so many businesses do. So you're yeah. doing something else, you kind of start doing something on the side. So I just started doing tax returns and some small type stuff. And a few years later, ended up kind of taking a full time. And it hasn't been probably the recent, the last five years, we've been doubling almost year over year, that we've really hit scale. And we really spent a lot of time trying to learn how to grow a business and do it right. And because it wasn't a skill set I felt like I naturally had, it was something I had to kind of learn how to grow a business.
1: How did you learn that? So Josh, help us understand that, right? Did you have mentors? Did you have advisors? Did you make your own mistakes? So there's only a few paths that you can do. You can do everything in this world. You can do it yourself. Mm-hmm. But it takes more time. It takes more. You may end up making more mistakes. Some you can't recover from. Some you cannot recover from. Or you find a mentor. Or you join an ecosystem. What was your approach towards understanding how business works and how to build one?
0: I think to kind of answer your question on the front end, yes, yes, and yes, right? So you end up with, of course, failure is a painful way to learn. But it's probably the best way that we learn. And I think probably for every successful business owner, they can look back at either something in business and or something personally that was almost traumatic in a way that really kind of helped provide the fuel to push their business forward. But I think for every business owner, they definitely need probably a mastermind or two that they're involved in. Mm -hmm. So where they can get together with the group to where they can bounce ideas off of and they can be an encouragement to each other. But I think also having a personal coach as well. And I do I have them, uh, every week and we get on, we talk about business, we talk about life. And so he's kind of an accountability partner in a lot of ways. And then, so I think a combination of those three, sometimes we get hung up on reading books, listening to podcasts and not doing. So we spend so much time intaking information, but not doing anything with it. And yeah. I love reading. I literally could sit down and read a book from cover to cover and I'd love it. I thoroughly enjoy it. However, that's not putting anything into action. So we truly learn by when we put something into action, we fail. I'm sure, you know, you as probably most of our listeners, you know, think of sports analogies. I was a wrestler and I loved the sport. I wrestled in high school, club and college and and, uh, coached at the high school level for a number of years. And it's kind of one of those things you get into a sport. How do you learn that sport? You know, in wrestling, it's getting in there and yeah, you're going to learn move and that type of thing, but it's getting on the mat and getting your head beat in. You know, I don't like that pain point anymore. I like my face, you know, smashed into a mat. I don't want to feel that again. All right. So that pain really provides a lot of motivation. Right. And so for business owners to just get in there, learn all you can while you're in the process, get the advice, have the mentors around it, but don't be afraid to fail. You know, get in there because that's the best way that most of us are going to learn.
1: Isn't that the best life hack at all? Like be having the resilience, having to make sure that you're not, what was it reading? I can't remember who said that. It was more about there's only two things in life, lessons. And success, there's no failure, right? I think it sounds like such a cliched statement, but it's actually very true because to your point, the fear of failure or the experience of failure sometimes is the biggest field that you can have, right? Especially if your why is connected, right? I mean, there's only two things you can do. Once things don't go your way, you can quit. But that essentially means your why to do that thing wasn't strong enough. So you got to make sure, did you really want to do that? Because if you did you want to do that, one small failure, or one small setback shouldn't be the reason for you to quit, right? But if you did, maybe it's a good thing because that means your why wasn't aligned. But if your why was aligned, then you're going to try different things and eventually it's going to make work, right? It may not work on the timeline that we all expected it to work, which is I want to launch a million dollar business in two months. It may happen, it may not happen, who knows? But eventually you'll get there. Right. So the failures are just the trigger point that you're not learned enough. There's something missing, something gap.
0: Is that how you looked at it? Oh sure, definitely. Because the being an entrepreneur is kind of one of these things that a lot of people are very attracted to because it's kind Mm -hmm. of sold in that way. But it isn't easy. Yeah. You know, you kinda get into it and it's like it is this thing it is really, really hard and most people aren't cut out for it. No. Um, that's why we know the statistics. Okay. We know that four out of five businesses are going to fail in the first five years. Correct. Okay. For the most part. And we know 80% of most startups aren't, they're not going to make it to year five and 80% of those aren't going to make it to year 10. Right. And so, um, you know, you think about it, if you make it to year 10, do the math. I mean, only 4% of businesses for the most part make it to year 10, just like, you know, podcasts. I heard the statistic only, you know, only 4% of a podcast episode ever make it to 10. I think I saw beforehand. I mean, I think you're in the 50s or 60s. And so you're in that small percentage, but the same things in business, because guess
1: what? It's easy to quit, right? I would actually phrase it. It's easy to start and easy to quit. The middle part, the hardest part it's the (laughs) hardest part, man. It's very easy to start anything. And it's very easy to quit because it doesn't take much effort in both of them, but to keep sustaining it. I mean, I'll tell you my journey about as a podcaster and as a capital raiser as well, as in I'm like, yeah, podcasting, how hard it can be. Yes, it's, you're true how hard it can be. It's actually very hard because it takes a lot of time, right? Depending on how you're doing it and you got a scheduling, you got to know what you're talking about. You got to know your audience. It's just so many things that you're trying to jam into 20, 30 minutes. That's all time you have, right? It's a learned skill, but it gets easier. To your point, as in, you may make your first few episodes may fail or at least not meet your expectation, but that doesn't mean you should quit. That's the time you should buckle down and do more, which is true in life, which is true in sports, which is true in anything, in relationships. And true more most of it all is definitely true in the businesses.
0: Yeah. Well it's becoming a lost art. Longevity, perseverance, discipline. Right. These are things, you know, that I see over and over again that people just don't persevere and they just don't push through those pain points and stick with it. Because it is a lot easier just to get up in the morning and go work for someone and go home at night and kick your feet up. and, But you're not going to make it an impact is. that way, truly. No. You're not going to make the impact. So if you're type of person, and it's not, that's not for everyone, not to demean someone that that's Correct. their goal. Their primary goal is to make the greatest impact they can on their family and that type of thing. And so they invest in their time in a different way. And that's most people. That's where most people will sit, where they should sit. We're getting into the world of business ownership, and I own an accounting firm, but that's not the only business I've owned. I've owned other right. businesses as well. I've had businesses that have failed. I've had ideas that sounded great, and they weren't. Our, our audience tells us that. Our customers tell us that.
1: Very quick, man. What Very it. quick what feedback. It. That's the
0: feedback. Yep. Yeah. So we can send out all the surveys we want. Guess what? How do I know if my clients are satisfied or not? They pay their bill. Correct. Right? But yeah, so you're right. Starting is easy because you have that motivation because it's exciting, and quitting is easy because all you have to do is just walk away. But it's yeah, it's that persevering and the, through that middle point and just yeah. at it, it's
1: difficult. So just let's go back to our original part of the conversation that you had started yep. when I had shifted gears a little bit, right? So let's go back to that kind of like. Actually, before we go there, I do have one question: Does your firm also help folks are who don't have businesses? Right, they're making a lot of money, but they've never actually looked at their own personal data of how their finances are doing. It's, it's actually getting them closer to their goal or away from the goal. Because I also think about life as a business, right? It's a very crude way of looking at it, but it is because everything is data. When you start looking at, am I making a progress or not? A lot of that is data driven, which is I needed to contribute because even in the personal level, I need to contribute 10% or 20% of my income to somewhere else, which is great. But are you able to do that because all the other expenses may not allow you to do that? So is that something you do, you help? And what's your perspective on that?
0: It's not something that we do It's kind of sit more on the personal side. Now we will, obviously we work with our business owners and we fulfill as far as, you know, tax and that type of thing and strategy component for it. But most of that type of work is either done either with, you know, financial planners or if they're a very wealthy client, they may have some sort of a family office that they're working with. Mm-hmm. If they're at a uh, more of a kind of a very wealthy individual. That's what they may be looking at, but definitely that should be part of their conversation. And we do have some clients that have that person that they work along with, mm-hmm. and then we work with them. Got it. So we want to make sure that because here are their personal financial goals. And of course that's important to us because we want to know what are your personal financial goals, but it may, it may be completely different than what we're doing from the business perspective. I think that there's definitely value to that. If you're looking you know, trying to have a you know goal for retirement or those types of goals, where we would sit at is to know, okay, well, how are you going to go about funding that out of your business?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or how can your business align with what you're trying to do over here? Right. Um, but the over here is generally done with someone else.
1: Got it. No, perfect. So now let's just go back. So Josh, you said that, I think I said that, and then you reiterated that a lot of the business owners, the numbers are the last thing they look at, right? Because it takes time. I think I have my own thesis. Part of that is they're afraid of looking at the numbers because numbers are going to tell them a story that they don't like. And all the other thing is they just don't see that as a revenue generating Activity. And they're like, why look at the data? Because I already know it in my head. Is it working or is it not working? So, what have you found? You have over 800, 900 clients right now. I and mean, correct me if that number is incorrect, but I feel like that's a number we've talked about before. In your discussions with them and when you're helping them, why do you see that a lot of the businesses, a lot of the folks are not looking at data?
0: I think you mentioned the word fear a couple of times. A lot of business owners operate their business the same way that most people run their personal finances. Mm-hmm. So they take out their phone, they go to their banking app, they open it up, oh, do I have money in the bank? Correct. Right. And that's not a very good way to run anything. And so a lot of times business owners, they just, you know, it's just something, okay, I have cash in the bank, I can pay my people, I can do the next thing. So for most of them, they just simply haven't been trained to know that they should be looking at something. Mm-hmm. Now, and you may have as well, but you know, for those of us who even have advanced de- degrees, I'll tell my team, and they'll hear me say this over and over again, this is not something I learned in business school, right? Right. So most of what we do is something that we've learned through experience. And for a business owner, the only true way that they're going to get that report card back in their business is not, do I have money in the bank? That is not the report card. The report card is going to be to actually sit down and take a look at the grades, Sometimes right. called KPIs or called other things that are truly a measurement of how is your business performing. Now, you're right. They look at it and they feel that it isn't a revenue generator. But if your paperwork isn't organized, if your books aren't organized, if your plan isn't in place and isn't implemented, you're going to lose a ton of money in taxes and sure. in lack of efficiency. How do I ever know if I'm overstaffed? Okay. How do yeah. I ever know if my price points are right? How do I ever know if I'm spending too much in in this area or in that area? How am I ever going to know if I'm trending one way or the other if I don't put together the numbers and take a look at them? But even with our clientele base and we offer them, you know, get on a call, we'll help you. Most of them don't take advantage of it. Hmm. And it's just simply just because that they, you know, well, I'm too busy running my business. And, you know, it's just, you think, think of a health analogy. We can work, we can work, we can work. But guess what? Eventually something's going to fall apart if I'm not taking care of my health, which is right. why it's important that, you know, and I'm huge on on fitness and I'm working out too because I know that I'm not going to be able to perform in my business to be what my clients need, what my team need, needs if I'm sitting around eating food that comes through a window and I just sit behind my desk all day. Right. Okay. Right. That, um, that we're taking a holistic view even at a perspective in that area as well. That we're not neglecting any sort of aspect. So for a business owner, for them just to kind of neglect it, it's just like them eating burgers and fries every day and not doing any movement. Okay. And so eventually something is going to fall apart. To sit down at least, and I would say monthly, to sit down, take a look at your numbers, making sure those numbers are defined as it to that align with your goals, with the direction that you're trying to go, and truly our measurement of how your business is performing. And then having that conversation to know what needs to be tweaked, what needs to be changed, are we trending in the right direction toward whatever goals. That have been that you've determined are the goals for your business for that time period?
1: Yeah, I think that's a very valid point, right? Because I think it's kind of like what you don't know, you don't know. Because I know sometimes I've done that and I've been guilty of that as in, do I have money to pay this bill? I do. So I end up using my balance sheet to fund my business instead of running it like a profitable business where the cash flow from the business is sustaining the operations, right? I'm a new business owner, right? I mean, a lot of my audience knows it. I was w W2 employee up until December, but I'm also a management consultant. What you're preaching is what I used to preach to my clients, but it's kind of funny when I became a business owner, that that side just completely flipped because I became one of my clients where the focus is really on how to grow the business and what do I need to do rather than focusing on I need to make sure that I'm paying attention to the data as well. So I completely agree with what you're saying. I just want to get your perspective on, is it fear? Is it lack of training? Is it what's the motivation that's lacking there? I think you believe, I believe it makes sense. What you're saying is really a lot of folks just don't know they have to look at it. They're just trained to like, do you have money to spend something? Because that's how we're trained as society. If you have money in the bank, you can afford it, which is true for some which is not true for a lot of folks. So Josh, what are the top three to five things that you see when you're helping a client, right? So let's say a client is running a business for three, four, five years. They're very successful in how they define success. And then you engage with them. So what are the top four or five things that you see happening in most businesses that if you were to say, hey, you know what? If you were to change these five levers in your business, that it's going to be a game changer for most businesses. Do you have those four or five levers, or every business is so different that you can't really bring it to that level?
0: No, not at all. And you just mentioned cash flow, and I think that's number one. But I have to qualify that. And actually, I'm in the process of writing a book. I started it, and I don't know if I'll ever finish it. But it maybe something I quit. I actually haven't picked it up in a while. I don't think. I
1: don't think you'll quit. I don't think you have the personality, yeah. man. You'll
0: <laughs> yeah. get it.
1: So, yeah, because we hear so much about cash
0: flow. Right. I mean, there's some, you know, uh, you think Grant Cardone, right? It's all cash mm-hmm. flow. He has on his shirt. Everybody wants to talk about cash flow. Cash flow is one of the things that the wrong types of cash flow or not managing the cash flow is the number one reason why, and from my opinion, my perspective and my experience, why businesses fail. Because yeah, that movement to money really creates a kind of a false sense of security. Let me uh-huh. explain that. Your particular clients, you probably have a lot of clients that are in real estate, right? And most of our clients are in real estate as well. So what they end up doing is they go and they, and i am just give you a very practical example that I'm going to, I'll give to you the problem. And the problem is twofold. Okay. So first of all, they go through and they practice the buy kind of rinse and repeat, right? Buy mm-hmm. you know, rehab.
1: Oh, what they call and, burr, BRRRR.
0: Yeah, yeah BRRRR, right. Which kind of really just grates me because for one big reason, and I think it'll bring some clarity to that as I walk through this. So think about the process. And uh, there isn't anything inherently wrong with the process. It's the execution of the process. And, and this mm-hmm. can go with any business. It can go with the business going and getting uh, any sort of debt, go taking on debt. Okay. I'll just use a, an example. They go through and they're, they're going to purchase a property. It doesn't matter if it's an SFR or a multifamily or a hotel. It doesn't right. Matter. Okay. So they're going through and they're purchasing a property, a piece of real estate. They go through and they buy this property. They find a, either a bank or private lender, whatever the case may be. And they go through, they get that money in, they rehab it, and they refinance it. The issue is when they refinance it, many times as business owners begin to pull that cash out of the business, they think that I refinanced, oh, so now I've got $20,000 additional now in my bank account, Mm -hmm. okay? And so now I can take this money out of my business, Correct. okay? And so they end up kind of living off of that accrued debt. And so uh, what ends up happening is it creates this false sense of security. That particular property is not monetizing nor may it, will it monetize to the point to where you're going to be able to recapture that. So what it ends up doing in the short term, of course, it takes cash out of your business. In the midterm, it creates a tax issue because now you have your equity. Okay. So essentially you end up, for all intents and purposes, over leveraged on the balance. Right. sheet. So you end up in a negative right. equity position, which creates additional tax issues. Okay. Not to mention, you've taken out capital that should have either been redeployed into the next deal or invested inside of the business. Correct. You've taken out of the business. And so I've seen this happen over and over and over again, not just with real estate, but with other businesses as well. And In their mind, they're like, oh, well, the value of that asset appreciates. But we have to realize that post-inflation, okay, if we look at the history of real estate, where we take inflation into consideration, real estate only increases on the fair market value end about 1% a year on average. Definitely. After inflation. Definitely. Okay. But the business owner, the investor is not keeping that in mind. So the number one uh, reason why businesses fail isn't the lack of cash because you can go to any, you can go almost anywhere and get loans nowadays, right? That's a little bit harder than it was a few months ago. But I mean, if you have any sort of an asset in your business that is functional and you have halfway decent credit, it may be higher interest debt, but you can you can still get you can still take on the Correct. debt. But it's it's the managing of that debt. And so uh, to to follow up on that, so you have this cash flow coming in, and even a business that may not be doing that. So a business that is is performing just fine, if they are not looking at, at the numbers, okay, if they're not looking at their financials, they're not looking at their KPIs, then they're going to miss those potential blind spots mm-hmm. that are inside of their business. So they end up getting broadsided. They end up running with an issue they didn't realize they had because they never sat down and analyzed the data. Right. So it's the managing of the cash flow properly, not having the right data, not having good data, and not spending the time to analyze that data. And then also not clearly defining their goals, both for the business and for them personally. Yeah. So I think if a business owner is doing all those things, okay, then they're not neglecting aspects. I mean, it's one of those things with so many clients is even if we talked about it here just a few moments ago, a lot of times business owners are inefficient because they aren't taking care of themselves. Correct. They're neglecting self-care. Okay. So it goes well beyond just the P&L on the balance sheet. And uh, my favorite of the statements is the statement of cash flows, which I think it provides a best picture of where your cash mm-hmm. is going than any of the other reports. And a lot of people don't ever look at them, but also are you taking care of what needs to be done on the personal side as well? So you can show up and be the person that you need to be inside of your business. So if a business owner is doing those things, they're understanding their cash flow, they have the right, ca- the right types of cash flow. And this is assuming they have a business model that doesn't, that actually works. Okay because there are just legitimately sometimes it's just bad ideas it's just a bad business model it just doesn't get right. Good. but that's not true for most businesses. but if you're managing the cash flow well, you get you're hiring well, you can write people around you, you understand your core values, you're kind of doing those things that are talked about all the time, but you're truly living it and you're executing on it right type of cash flow, you're managing it well, you understand your numbers, you understand where your cash is coming from, you understand where it's going and you know the direction that you want your business to
1: go you're going to be okay. Isn't that interesting, Josh? What you said was not rocket science, right? No. It's actually common sense, right? That's how you would run your own life. If you actually reflect back on what you're doing, we're basically saying is have a goal for your life, right? At some point, have a checkpoint to see whether you're moving in the right direction or not. And you can only do it looking at the data, historical. Sometimes it may be subjective. And really the third thing is manage your cash well to make sure that it's going in the places where it needs to go. And if you're pulling stuff out of business, is it really helping you or reinvesting in the business is gonna be the right decision. When I heard you say that, I could almost say that this is life, right? We just put a business wrapper around it. And if you're not looking at living life in a commonsensical way, which is also true for businesses, if you're not running a business in a commonsensical way, you're going to run into problem, you're inviting trouble. Some folks may get lucky, right? I think we've seen that day in and day out. Some just get very lucky. And even though they are not doing things the way it needs to be done, but most of it, I would say 80 to 90% of us will fall in the place where if we don't apply the common sense, we won't have a business.
0: Well, luck seems to run out usually at some point when there's a true stress testing of the business. You know, something happens and then, you know, we find out, you know, luck only takes us so far.
1: Yeah. So Josh, what's an ideal client
0: for you? Yeah. So our avatar, most of our clients are in the real estate space and most of them are in some form or fashion. So they may be anywhere from the syndicators down to maybe a smaller business owner that has a 25, 30, 50 properties in their portfolio. Mm -hmm. So uh, most of our clients seven, eight-figure businesses that most of them are in real estate in some form or fashion. We are branching out. We do have clients in in a lot of other areas as well with the client load of nearly 900 at this point. So um, we are well-versed in our clientele base, but that's where we serve best because that is kind of the area that we hear, at least from clients especially that call us, that they're having a hard time finding accountants that know that space, because it is complicated. You think about, you know, even you're a syndicator. So right. it's kind of one of those things that, you know, am I a real estate professional or GP, LP and you know, all these types right. of things to, they aren't necessarily you know familiar with or need to be educated on? And most, you know, a lot of times their accountants out there don't fully understand that. Yeah, I so just got off a call literally right before this, where somebody, very successful business owner, businesses, uh, four businesses over two states and their accountant didn't even know what cost segregation was, cost segregation was done. was. So it's just just things like that. It's just that uh, I hear that over and over and over again.
1: Yeah. So I think Josh, before we went on there, I may have misheard you. One thing you were saying is that once the structure is set up, a lot of these things are, are on autopilot. So when we say when the structure is set up as in structure is set up by your team, everything is autopilot without your team? Or what we're saying is with or without your team, anyone can set this structure up. So help me understand that. I had meant to ask you that before, but I'm like, you know what? I think everyone's going to benefit from if I actually ask you on the podcast and we actually capture it.
0: Yeah. So um, the context of that and the comment was in regards to the development of the KPIs. Yep. On the monthly KPIs. So the bookkeeping component, although there's a lot of work out there to try to automate that, to try to use AI, at this point, especially for real estate, I don't know if it'll ever work just simply because knowing how to allocate you know, income and expenses across properties correctly, mm-hmm. what goes to the balance sheet versus what goes to the income statement, probably a very long ways before a lot of that can be automated. However, what can be automated is once that data is inputted, that to take that data and massage that data to generate reports that, so you, you identify your KPIs as few or as many as you want, but that mm-hmm. data can be taken and that data massaged through automation to be able to generate a report that tells you how your business is performing. And there, there are technology out there that does it. We utilize it here as well. But the biggest part where it requires the human component is make sure the data is good. And right. I think most importantly is understanding what are the KPIs I should be looking at. Right. And so once those KPIs are defined, then at that point, then that can be automated. So once a month that report gets generated, it comes to you and you sit down if you have a you know, meeting with your executive team or whatever that looks like inside of your business to where you sit down and you look at the, not just the financials, but also those reports and uh, make a determination on what needs to happen inside that business over the next 30 days.
1: Yeah. So Josh, would you also become an extension of their strategy arm? So, you know, every business has, needs a business strategy and a lot of that business strategy is usually decided by the owner. But right now, if they're not looking at the data, they're working in the vacuum, and it's having their intuition drive that uh, strategy. When your clients are working through, hey, what are my next steps? What am I going to do? What am I going to accomplish this year, or not, On a quarterly basis? Does your team get involved in that? That's part of the
0: quarterly calls that we have with our clients. Is really kind of drilling <laughs> down. Okay, these are the things at the beginning of the year that you felt were important for this year, but things may change. Mm-hmm. But to have that ability to be able to pivot. It's kind of a buzzword now, but to be able to pivot yeah. a little bit to change to change course. Our business name that we had for the farm. And it was something that we did as a team when we decided with the term load star. And we've always kind of had a compass and that type of an idea is, is kind of our brand and that type of thing. But as the business change, to be able to say, okay, this is the North Star, so to speak. This is the direction that you're wanting to head, but understanding that sometimes that moves a little bit. But are we still right. heading in the right, are we still heading in the direction that you're wanting to head as, as our client? But yet all of that is part of uh, generally is part of the quarterly calls, and a lot of times it spills over from personal into business. They right. say, you know, what I you know I just found out my wife has cancer. I understand I'm going to probably have to, you know, take three hundred thousand dollars out of my business to help pay for treatments. How do we do that? That's a much different conversation than earlier a guy wanting to buy a Bentley right. versus someone that says Correct. my goal this right. year is to pay zero in income tax. But is ha- regularly having that dialogue and uh, whether that's somebody internally. You have somebody on your team. If you have a CFO on your team that can help you with that, or you end up talking to someone on the outside, but to make sure that you're having those conversations, because we sometimes we look at our own data, sometimes with rose colored glasses, and uh, we have one of our larger clients that's this way, and we can send them over to the financial, but they take the data and they manipulate it to make them feel better in the meeting. Right. Well, that's not very helpful, okay? Right. to say, I don't like that data, so I'm just going to manipulate it so we all feel good in a meeting. That's not a very good use of the data. So uh, we regularly have those meetings, make sure the data is good. And then if that goals, if those goals do change, if the focus does change to make sure that uh, understanding of what needs to happen in order to make that pivot.
1: Yeah. And Josh, you said something about tax strategy. I know you made a passing remark of tax strategies is important as well. What role does that play? So when you're talking to your business owners, are you talking to them looking back on, hey, you know what? We did everything right. or tax planning is at the forefront as well. As you're defining the structures, as you're helping with their goals, what point do you bring in tax strategy into what they want to do?
0: Well, that should be a part of every conversation, understanding if we do this, what's the implication over here? Because every decision that we make will have an impact on the tax side. So with an understanding, okay, you can do this. However, this is going to be the impact. So you decide not to deploy capital in this area. You decide not to go this direction. Then uh, this is essentially the impact it's going to have on your business as it relates from a tax side. So we don't ever silo because there are tax strategists out there. Okay. And that's what they do. You can call them and they'll come up with these great structures. Most of the time, they don't serve the client. They're either too complex, they're not understood, or it requires so much capital to exit the business that it actually harms the business. So we're trying to pay zero taxes, but it drains the cash out of the business. That's not effective either. So a tax strategy isn't something to, to your point, that's something that's in a vacuum there really does have to, that's why that holistic component is so important, kind of understanding that tax strategy is just part of the conversation. Just like business strategy is only part of the conversation. Correct. That all of these things really do need to kind of come together to where you're singularly focused on, this is what I need to do over the next three, six, 12 months in order for me to hit... The goals and all these areas. And sometimes it's a give and a take, understanding, okay, I need to do a little bit more over here on the business strategy side, understanding it's going to cost me a little bit more in taxes.
1: Got it. And, Got um, it.
0: and so uh, to really kind of making sure that we're considering everything when making decisions.
1: Yeah, no, I, th- I think that makes sense, Josh. I want to ask one more question on that front, right? So how does somebody look at the ROI of someone like you on their team, right? Kind of like everything is an ROI, everything is an expense or an investment, really how you look at it. So when you talk to your clients, how are they looking at, is it really, I'm making up a number, I don't know what that is. If you're charging $10,000 for an engagement, are they getting $100,000 in return? Are they getting uh, emotional satisfaction in return? How do you justify your services to a client? Because that's really, in the end, it's unfortunately, because I think the value is intangible, right? Kind of like there's a lot of beyond just the revenue and the growth, it's going to be a lot of the intangibles that they're going to derive value from. But unfortunately, everyone's going to look at the numbers. How does that look for you?
0: Well, it isn't something that I necessarily, and there are a lot of places out there that do. We promise you, we're going to save you $10,000 this year in taxes or whatever the case may be. I don't make that promise mm-hmm. because I may not save you in taxes. I just may bring a help bring awareness. Right. Okay. For most of our clients, yes. I mean, I could go through and say, okay, the strategies we implemented saved you X, Y, Z in taxes, but I don't do that. Correct. To me, that's that's a little bit more kind of braggadocious or self serving. Yeah. I'm not as concerned about that as I am making sure that my client, at the end of the year, their business is at where they where Needed they want it to, were, be. Where, where they wanted to be. And hopefully I had a, a small part in bringing awareness, encouragement, whatever the case may be, to help them to get there. As far right. as just them, um, you know, saying, Hey, I saved you whatever in taxes, no, I didn't. I just kind of gave you a little bit of direction, you're the one that executed.
1: Got it. No, I love that. That's sorry really no noble way, humble way of saying that. But you did save them a lot of taxes. the case, I'm pretty sure because they wouldn't have done what if they, whatever they needed to do if you didn't nudge them in the right direction.
0: Well, if I did what they paid me to do, is that really you know what I mean? Should I really be? Able I know to what you
1: mean, man. That? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, Josh, we're coming towards the end. I mean, I love this conversation, man, because being a former consultant, I love data, but over the last four months, I can see I'm drifting away from it for myself. So this is actually, was a great conversation for me to kind of bring it back and implement in my own businesses and my own life. So Josh, we're coming towards the end of our episode. One question I like to ask everyone is, if you were to go back to your 20-year-old self, right, what would you do differently? Or what would you tell that 20-year-old self to do something different to make sure their migration in life becomes more intentional?
0: I don't know if I would necessarily change anything because the results might be different. And so I do believe that there is a divine plan for our lives that when and I happen to be a believer, so I do believe that there is a, a divine purpose specifically for each and every one of us mm-hmm. to fulfill. And so the path that, you know, I was led, led down, there were divine appointments, there were things that happened, both good and some very difficult things as well that right. has happened. But it's kind of it's shaped, you know, who we are now. Correct. And so I don't know if i necessarily change anything. But what I would probably tell my younger self is to be more humble, you know, to work toward being more humble and more caring and compassionate, right. and instead of just worrying so much about not being quite as selfish.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's true. I think I know I can use that in my own life a lot. So thank you for that advice. Last question. What is something you would think that humanity needs to migrate towards?
0: And I don't want this to become that type of a conversation, but that's almost a, more of a almost has a spiritual component to it. It does. It does. Something for the fact, yeah. So um, what is it we should be migrating toward? And I think for all of us, that's a closer relationship to our savior. And so that's always for me is kind of one of those things is, you know, are we moving in that direction? Because if we're we're aligned with that, then we're going to end up where we're supposed to be. Then we're going to make the impact that we should make.
1: Such a great answer there, Josh, because I think you're right. And however the savior comes to you, that's your own choice. But it's more we're working with our own plan uh, we think the somebody beyond us has helped us. They've put on this earth for us to serve. I'm a firm believer as well. Josh, thank you again for an exciting conversation, my friend. We took a lot of different twists and turns in the conversation, which I really love about this podcast. What I do is there's is no agenda coming in and we'll take the conversation where it goes and hopefully you created a lot of value along the way. So Josh, if somebody wants to reach out to you to learn more about your work, to maybe hopefully get engaged with you in terms of the business relationship, how do they find you? Okay,
0: I'm kind of anti-social media. I actually put a podcast out saying that uh podcast on the dangers of social media. So you won't find me on Facebook, TikTok, any of that, yeah. Instagram. I'm, you won't find me. Come on, man. So we need on you on LinkedIn. TikTok.
1: We need you on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. no,
0: Nobody... nobody. Uh, so uh, I am on LinkedIn. But yeah, loadstar.tax, that's L-O-D-E-S-T-A-R dot tax is the website. And there's a form on there if you want to communicate with me or uh, my information is out there. Josh at loadstar.tax if you want to email me. That's perfectly fine. And I do have a podcast all kind of all business, a podcast if uh, somebody wants to maybe get a little more information as far as on uh, some of the things that we're doing here and some of the thoughts and that we put together to put out there for our clients.
1: Awesome, Josh. Thanks again for having an exciting conversation, man. I always look forward to having a conversation with you. Appreciate it. Socket, this was fun. Thank you. Awesome, man.
0: If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend, but most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.